Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ducks that run fast, it's just too much for me, honestly, and they make a really amazing sound with their feet. Flap, 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 flap. Well, hello, it's William Young here. Welcome to the Wellbeing Lab. I've just lit a candle. I think it's cedar. I'm not sure, but it smells amazing. I'm gonna have another smell. Mm. Oh, it's something bougie on it. Anyway, it's delicious. It's making me really happy, feel very relaxed. And I'm excited because I'm gonna to speak to someone about a topic I know really very little about, which I always like, because I can come from a complete place of curiosity and ignorance. I embrace my ignorance. We're going to be talking to Dr. Chetna Kang, who's a psychiatrist and specialises in quite a few things, including narcissism. I come into this with bated breath, and I think you are going to love it. Let's have a listen. Hi, William. Hello. I'm Dr. Chetna Kang. I'm a consultant psychiatrist and I generally deal with adults with an integrative approach. So I look at nutrition, gut health, as well as the normal medical and psychological models. But I also have a special interest in spirituality and mental health. I'm actually really excited about this topic of narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder because I really know very little about it. And yet when we were talking, you know, before we started recording you brought up that often people might say oh I think my ex was narcissist I'm sure I've said it about people actually but I don't know if I fully know what it is so how would you define narcissism so it depends on whether you want to approach it from a clinical perspective or a colloquial perspective so you know often with mental health stuff we have that you know people can say I'm a little bit ADHD I'm a little bit OCD which can mean you identify with some traits but you may not have the disorder. So it's similar with narcissism. It's a spectrum. On the milder end, you have traits of what would be, if you had the severe end, would be called a narcissistic personality disorder. And narcissism, if you look at it, is actually related to self-involvement, an excessive amount of self-involvement. So for most people, our personality is, actually for everybody, personality is something that's active, it's dynamic, it's read and developed and interpreted in terms of how we experience the world, how we perceive the world, how we relate to the world, but also how we relate to ourselves. And that's what the world picks up on. You couldn't know someone's personality if they just sat in a chair, they sat still. You couldn't know what their personality was. They have to interact. So with narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder, there is an excessive amount of self-involvement that's usually rooted in a fragile sense of self. If you look at any of the personality disorders or any unhealthy personality traits in a person. They are usually a byproduct of somewhere in our development, in our upbringing or through some traumatic incidents that have happened. Our development of our sense of self in this world has been interrupted or disrupted. So with a narcissist, the pattern that's developed is to become so self-protective 
of your sense of identity. That what the world perceives of you becomes more important than what you think of yourself. And your, what you think of yourself almost equals what the world thinks of you. So you could have a penny in your pocket as long as the world thinks you're a millionaire, you're a millionaire. Oh, now that's interesting because I thought that narcissists, and I want to come back to the spectrum thing because I think that's you know fascinating. I'd never even seen it as a spectrum thing. Wouldn't care about what other people thought, what the world would think of them. Well, not caring about what, what other people think can come from two places. One place it can come from is a place of fear, that I don't care what you think of me because I've been so hurt by the world. And so you withdraw. It can also come from a place of love in the sense that, okay, I know who I am and I will be fully present for people. And as long as what people think of me is based on reality, I will accept it. And if it's not, then I will lovingly take a distance from it. But with the narcissist, because their own sense of self is disrupted to a point where they just need to keep that safe. Yeah. Other people's opinions are important to them, but they will direct what other people's opinions are. So they will create a story. And so often narcissists will have, and it's, the more extreme it gets, especially when you get towards the personality disorder end, they will create subgroups of friends and family who never mix, who never mingle, and have a different story, each of them, about that person. To some degree... They know they're doing it, but they don't realise why they're doing it. They don't realise they're doing it to protect themselves. So that makes me think of, like, a major form of codependency, in a way, the manipulation. Absolutely. So, you know, think about it. If somebody only creates one story for you, right, and this is what narcissists are really good at, is they're really good at making you believe that you are the only person they're honest with. So the closer you are to them, the more strongly you will believe that you are the only person that they're honest with. Because they so fully believe the story they're telling you. They live it, they breathe it. it becomes So when they're with you, whatever reality they have with you, that's the only reality that exists. They move to another situation, whatever reality they have with that particular group or person is the only situation. And so you'll, you'll notice sometimes, I mean, in very extreme forms, you'll notice those groups never mix. Yeah. They don't know anything about each other. They may know of each other. And so then if there's a problem with any of those groups or any of those individuals, that person's um, persona doesn't break down because they've only lost that one little section, you know, yeah. that one little group of people. So, yeah, I mean, it can be quite toxic. The more narcissistic someone is, so the more vulnerable they are to their sense of who they are being broken by a disruption in someone else's view of them, the more likely it is you're going to go through the manipulation, the gaslighting. And the three actual, there's actually three clear stages in terms of having a very intimate or romantic relationship with a narcissist, which can, you know, lead to a lot of trauma, which can take a long time to pick up. But, you know, the three stages that most people go through, especially if it's a romantic relationship, is there'll be this idealization stage. So because they want to capture you, with the ideal sense of love, you will very quickly become their soulmate. They will love bomb you. You will get so much affection. You will feel like, oh my gosh, I could be in a Hollywood film right now. Yeah. <laughs> I would be the star. Yeah. You know, so like flowers this is how I being feel. Sent. Not just that, they will read you so closely. Oh, really? They will read you so well. They will know exactly what you need. Wow. And you will feel like, I didn't know I could meet someone who could understand me so well. Okay, they're extremely good at reading people. If you think about the backgrounds that narcissism can develop in, particularly the fragile narcissist, where there's often uh, trauma, abuse, invalidation, they become very good at reading the abuser, adults, people who they become victims of. 
because they want to be keeping themselves safe. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. So they become very good readers of people mm. in terms of that, in terms of what could make a person tick, right? They're not good in terms of having empathy and self-love, but they can read what a person needs on an intellectual level. So they, they will idealize you. They will make you feel like you are the best thing. You are the best thing that they've ever come across. And you are the only one. And often this is done in a couple of ways. One is they will put the spotlight on you, but they will also show themselves to be very vulnerable and almost like you're their savior, that you're so wonderful, you're the person who saved them. Right, so then, then you kind of feel quite powerful, don't you? Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, and special. Special, powerful, too good to be true. And is there a type of per? I know there's two other things. You were saying there are three things, but is there a type of person that that narcissist might go for? Like, will they have a certain attachment system? Will they? Do you know what I mean? Yes, it depends on their expectations, right? So, for example, if they are particularly intelligent and well-to-do in society they may actually target a male or a female who's even more powerful, who's even more affluent, who's even more well-to-do, because that makes them feel more powerful, that they can control and gain control over someone who's more powerful than them. So it depends on what they feel they deserve, whatever picture they have created in their mind of how they should appear to the world. And often that's constructs they've picked up, um, either through what they've watched and grown up listening to or constructs they've picked up from their family anything that keeps them safe and far removed from their actual reality yeah okay so that was the first thing first stage so idealize so you basically you get to a point where you're just like i'm completely sold out to this person this person will never hurt me that's it this is the one we are soulmates etc it, it happens very quickly you know it gives a very much a love at first sight feeling um and if, if we're thinking okay what makes me vulnerable to attracting a person like that we may have been raised by people or uh, surrounded by carers or been in previous relationships with somebody who may have had narcissistic traits and we haven't yet picked up on it, so we may be vulnerable. Equally, you may not necessarily be vulnerable because you just may not be looking out for that. We trust that somebody who says they love us and yeah. we're wonderful <laughs> actually means it, right? Yeah, and what so, lovely things to hear. Someone saying, you know, they read you really it? well. Yeah, I mean, it must be very hard to detect even if you're very healthy person yeah because normally when I describe this stage to people that they, they also well hang on a minute I felt like that about my husband or my wife or my partner uh, and I'm not a narcissist and we have a really healthy relationship but it's the other two stages that really define you know what happens in a relationship with a narcissist and of course again this is on a spectrum mm. so then comes the stage where okay when they feel they've got you right that's it there's no risk of losing this person because what they quickly start realizing is actually the person they've got actually is wonderful, actually is lovable, actually is kind, but they don't necessarily feel like that themselves. So because they're feeling very insecure in themselves, often needing a constant supply of reassurance and validation, which if you're in a secure relationship, your partner, for the most part, is not going to spend 24-7 telling you you're wonderful and amazing, are they? You know, they kind of expect you to, we expect each other to have our own self-worth. And so what they then start doing is this devaluation stage of the relationship where they'll start kind of pushing you down and putting themselves up, okay? So like a seesaw, so the, if I push you down, that means I automatically go up because you're less than me. And the way they do this is, you know, gaslighting is a term that's thrown around a lot. Gaslighting essentially is getting a person to question their own judgment, 
lose trust in themselves. And it can start off with small things, little things, things that you would think, hmm, why would even somebody bother manipulating me about this? Like you left the milk out last night. Oh, well, they'll say it wasn't me. It was you. No, it wasn't me. I didn't even touch the milk. And they'll go on and on and on about it until you feel like, well, hang on a minute. And slowly say yeah. these little things. And then it starts to get bigger and bigger stuff, bigger stuff. I mean, I'll give you one example. Telling someone they've cleaned the house, they've hoovered the house. You walk into the house, you know it hasn't been hoovered. But just because the hoover happens to be out, you just rather believe that the person's done it, even though you can see that there's dust and dirt everywhere. So you just stop believing what you see and only hear what they tell you. And so in this way, they start separating you from those people who do protect you. Two things that came up. One, the milk thing seems so tiny that I would probably, in the end, think, oh, well, I guess I did leave the milk out. So there's the beginnings of the inn for Absolutely. them. And then on the other hand, it's so obviously a lie. You know, I've cleaned the house just because the hoof is there that it's like, well, it's so bizarre that maybe they did clean the house. I mean, you know, it seems yeah. like he's changing someone's perception of reality. That's exactly what gaslight. So changing your perception of reality, saying the only person you can really trust is me because you're a bit crazy, basically. Don't trust yourself. Whatever you see around you, you can't trust it because, you know, you're insecure, you're crazy, you know. And also, and the other thing they can also do at that stage is they also isolate you from anyone who might be able to help you see what's wrong. And they do this by if that person criticizes you, suddenly they're your savior. Oh, how dare they speak to you, speak about you like that? You know I'm the only one who understands you. Oh, wow. And so you start thinking, oh, yeah. Oh, you must really have my back. And slowly, slowly you start withdrawing from your friends and those people who actually do see you for who you are. And you get trapped in this cycle of instinctively knowing something is not right. I'm not being treated very well. Whether it escalates to physical abuse, but there's certainly there's always emotional and psychological abuse. Physical abuse it can extend to as well. But you're left with feeling like it's all your fault and that you deserve it. But at the same time, you're the only one who can save them because you understand their problems, because you've got their whole backstory of how they are, the way they are. God, so I mean, like, I know we've gone through the two things so far and there's one to go, but already I'm like, my gosh, this is so toxic and convoluted in how someone can wrap a person up, almost like a spider in a web, you know, wrapping them up to get them in the place where, well, I guess they'll never be left. Is that probably one of the things they want? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You can't leave them even if you want to. You, in fact, when someone starts realising that this is not right, the first thing they feel is, I want to leave, but it's going to be harder to leave than it is to stay. Like a hostage? Yeah. What's the third thing? Well, this is the stage where things can get very abusive because if they're not getting this, so there's narcissistic supply of being fed emotions from you that make them feel powerful. Okay, either you are ingratiating them, you know, satisfying their need to be complimented and told they're wonderful, or you're making them feel powerful by feeling weak and vulnerable yourself. Okay, when those highs are not frequent enough, sufficient enough, they will become more violent, more aggressive, fly off the handle, more insulting. And because you're already set at thinking everything's your fault, well, this must be too. Then you're under the threat that, okay, they're going to discard me soon. They don't want to be with me anymore. What can I do to stay with them? And then they've really got you. Yeah, then they've really got you. Because if you then try to say anything like, you know, we need to talk about a relationship, there's something wrong. Either they'll say, there's nothing wrong, it's in your head, our relationship's perfect. Or 
No one will love you. I'm the only person who can tolerate you. Look at all the crazy things you've done. Because the way they behave is going to get a reaction from you. God, this is so interesting. So, so I knew someone that had a partner. And the partner, it's so interesting as I hear you explain these things, because the partner sent this person to a psychiatrist and then God knows who the psychiatrist was because then wanted to hear back from the psychiatrist. So it was already like making this person feel like there's obviously something wrong with them. It was a- abusive, I mean, emotionally and physically. But what's so interesting is, and I heard the way this person would talk, when they thought that I didn't like them, they were devastated. The idea that I thought they were anything other than perfect. So it was so fascinating. And I actually saw this person the other day. And the person was like, I mean, thank God I was in a moving car because it was like everything was fine. And I was thinking, oh my God, no one even knows. So am I right in thinking that you wouldn't necessarily spot a narcissist of this level because they're so good at maintaining a front? They can be phenomenally good at maintaining a front. In fact, they're so good at maintaining a front, they can switch between being in a very abusive state and moments later act as if nothing happened. They can be torn down in court with a damning report and tell the judge, I don't accept your findings. Because they have to maintain that, otherwise they'll just break. If they do not maintain that reality in their own mind of who they are, based on what they've allowed other people to perceive them as, they will crack. They will go into a deep depression. We're pausing just for a bit for an ad break. Why do we do this? We need the cash. But we'll be back soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So where does a narcissist learn these kind of behaviours like how to idolize the person to begin with and then bring them down do you know is it a complete subconscious thing no they're aware of what they're doing to some extent so some may have picked up a lot of it in childhood they may have been treated like that themselves so they've learned it from their parents others have also picked up a lot of their so the actual detail of the technique they may have picked up from movies because think about it most people watch movies right our ideas of romance A lot of it's based on movies, but Hollywood movies stop where real life starts. So the beginning period, they'll they'll model on, I don't know, if you love friends, they will model their romantic interactions with you, taking subtle cues from friends. 
But I, by the way, I completely agree with you. I think love addiction is mm-hmm. has got <laughs> Hollywood's got a lot to answer for. Yeah. You know, oh my god, we met and it was just incredible. And I know, you know, it's not reality. I knew he will, he or she was the one. But it's not just Hollywood. Where does it start? Fairy tales. Yeah. From the moment we're told fairy tales, it's all this really intense coming together, rescuing, being rescued. And a narcissist will use that also. They will create a problem and rescue you from it, so they become the hero. And it's interesting because when I was growing up in Bollywood films, there would often be a scene where the guy would tell his friends, oh, go harass the girl and then I'm going to come beat you up so she likes me. And I didn't question it at the time because it plays to that whole rescuing thing, right? You look at Snow White, you look at Beauty and the Beast, you look at Cinderella. There's always a rescuing. Yeah. Like someone's being rescued. And normally the woman in those things, isn't normally it? Normally yeah. the woman, yeah. It's being rescued. So the disempowering of the woman and a double empowering of the man, I suppose. Yeah. And I suppose driven by survival technique, driven by this desire to be loved, then we find out these things sort of organically in a way. It might be unhealthy, but it's sort of organic, as in like, oh, well, that worked when I pretended that I had... A hundred pounds in my bank when I only had ten. So we start yep. picking up little toxic behaviours, I guess. Absolutely, learning through experience. So it's quite interesting because when I hear about narcissism, I never feel very, and I think this is probably just because of the media and how it's sort of come about and been portrayed. I never feel empathy towards a narcissist, you know. But I think, particularly at the beginning of our conversation, you were giving reasons as to how someone could be there, which I think, you know, there is a reason, isn't there, why someone would be there. Yeah. So how how does a narcissist or someone with a narcissistic personality disorder recognise that they're a narcissist? If you're on the mild end, yeah. you may be able to. I mean, actually, what we've seen is there's been an increase in the number of people who identify with narcissistic traits. And a lot of this has been related to social media. Now, let's come back to this whole sense of identity and who I am. Social media has enabled people to connect more, but it's also allowed people to create more layers of a false ego, many senses of themselves, right? You can have five Instagram accounts, you know, with different groups of friends and have a different persona and show a different part of your life. So the culture of you've got 15 seconds to show yourself or one snapshot to show yourself. So you've got to put your best into that and people don't get a chance to know you. So there's even more flying around around self-love and self-help and appreciate yourself. But at the same time, it's mixed in with the sense of, oh yeah, but you've got to maintain appearances. You've got to keep up appearances. And so we've got more and more people identifying with more of the traits of narcissistic personality disorder and more of the traits of antisocial personality disorder as well because you've got many more people who are actually within themselves feeling quite unsure of who they actually are. How much of who I am is independent of what the world sees and how much of who I am is dependent on what the world sees. And a lot of our teenagers are growing up like that. They're confused because they've just got too many options around who they could be. Rather than there being freedom of choice, there's almost a pressure to be spread across everything, you know? And so it leaves a lot of confusion. So then you get these extreme kind of, okay, well, I'm going to just create this image persona for this group of people or that group of people. So we've got more people identifying with this narcissistic or narcissism trait of keeping up appearances 
And then that feeds into your relationships, even on a day-to-day level, in the sense that if you don't have a strong sense of who you are, independent of what you do, independent of how the world sees you and experiences you, then you're going to be wanting to work harder to maintain that, even in your close personal relationships. And when your partner hurts you or does something which could ordinarily be worked out with a conversation, it affects your sense of who you are so much. Criticism feels that much more grating or a constructive piece of feedback feels that much more damning that you will react in a way that doesn't fit the situation. And this can lead to all sorts of problems in a relationship where then you're then there's a power struggle. I want to keep you. What's the best way I can keep you? How can I keep you? You know, often, actually, we may not have narcissism. We may not have antisocial traits or any other personality disorder, toxic traits. But when we're hurt, we go into self-protection mode. Okay. Don't we? Yeah, and that kind of stuff can... Can come up. So it's like we're in the way the modern world... It's quite interesting because we have this sort of huge rise in the last even five years, I would say, of self-help and things like that. But then we've got this other side, which is show yourself in a very non-authentic, you know, immediate way, get as many followers as possible, all that kind of... Because it's weird, isn't it? Because we... It's so, like, trendy to be like, social media is so awful, but it's still going on, you know? Well, that's because it's designed to be addictive. Yeah. I mean, digital media is designed to keep you there. I mean, some of these narcissistic traits I can recognise in the way digital media has been designed. Yeah, and that's so intoxicating. It is intoxicating because you get a hit from digital media immediately, right? You get a reward immediately. It's less satisfying, but you get it immediately. And so you need more and more and more and more, so you just stay on. You spoke of the fragile narcissist. Are there other categories of narcissist? Yeah, you have the fragile, vulnerable narcissist and you have the grandiose narcissist. There is some understanding that narcissism can be born of parents who you know, or an upbringing where you are very much the focus of attention. That's there, but more often than not, you see it as a byproduct of trauma and invalidation. Often when you see the grandiose narcissism, it's kind of a bit more obvious. You've got the showy-offy person who's not as pleasant to be around, you know. I guess in some ways they also have more opportunity to develop insight because hopefully someday somebody will say to them, you know, you're a bit of a show-off. You might want to tone it down a bit and stop thinking you're better than everybody else. I think you've actually mentioned but I'd like to go over them again that people who are listening could look out for if they mm. might be with a narcissist or just helpful in general first of all are you in a relationship which is toxic mm. that's the first thing you've got to ask yourself because I mean if your partner's on the very mild end of the spectrum of narcissism it may be that you guys have found a way already to figure it out work it out you know they have needs you know they have certain default patterns and You guys are figuring it out. It's fine. It's no problem. But if you are actually in a toxic and abusive relationship, whether that's emotional, psychological, financial or physical, rather than worrying about, okay, do they fall in a narcissistic PD category? Are they antisocial? There's clearly something wrong. Okay. A a healthy, well-developed individual does not beat people, does not emotionally abuse people, does not psychologically abuse people or financially abuse them. Okay. So it can be a big ask for someone especially somebody who's intelligent and successful, to actually go, oh my God, I'm in an abusive relationship. Because we don't like to believe that about ourselves, that we got it wrong. No. Especially the longer someone's been in a relationship. Especially when you think about the love bombing days or the times when after an abusive incident, they start to apologize and 
you know, are all sweetness and light and could do no wrong. Kind of, but I actually do feel loved in those moments. So how can this not be love? If you are in that situation and things are toxic, actually just recognizing for yourself, actually, you know what? This is a toxic relationship. And this is a toxic relationship with somebody who has no insight and willingness to change. That already is enabling in itself because then you can make the next decision is this something I want to stay in? Is this something I have to stay in? Because with all the will in the world, sadly, over the years, I have seen that some people are ready, even emotionally, to leave the relationship. But for practical reasons, they can't. You know, they may be financially dependent. They may have a whole family who's financially dependent. You might be dependent on them for some care needs. We don't know. People have their own individual circumstances. But often, the key thing is to find yourself again because you've become so much of just an instrument for who they need to be that you kind of lose yourself in that relationship. So a lot of the healing work is about finding yourself again. And a lot of that comes from, first of all, again, recognizing what the situation is, recognizing who and what they are, recognizing how you've been hurt, recognizing what your fault is and what isn't your fault. And nine times out of 10, most of it isn't your fault. The only mistake usually a victim of abuse makes is sticking with this construct that they're staying out of love. Usually people who stay in abuse is out of fear. Nobody stays in an abusive situation out of love. No. And it's out of fear. There's a fear of a loss of something, you know. So what I would say is get yourself some help. Now, you may not necessarily be ready for professional help or be able to access professional help straight away. I would say speak to some friends first. Be honest about what you're going through without fearing that they're going to judge you for being a bad person. They probably will say to you, oh my God, but he or she's amazing. I had no idea that they treated you like that. And you might be thinking, that's exactly what he said. He told me they wouldn't believe me because they've created such a persona, right? Nobody would ever believe it. But you say, yeah, I understand. But behind closed doors, this is what's going on. Very good to point out that that's what their partner might have said to them that friends would say. You know, that's really useful, I think, for people to hear. And I guess it makes me think also, a narcissist, do they tend to be more one sex than the other? Yes, 75% are male. It's a lot to do with feminine psychology, masculine psychology. When there's vulnerability in the constructs around the self, women's personalities develop to internalize. So you're more likely to get the emotionally unstable traits like chronic feelings of emptiness, emotional dysregulation. You turn it inwards, you'll self-harm, you might binge eat. You might self-sabotage. There's a fear of abandonment. Whereas with the masculine psychology, there's much more of the either the antisocial defense mechanisms or the narcissistic defense mechanisms. Yeah. Some things to expect when you are in the process of separating yourself, whether physically or emotionally, from someone you love uh, that has hurt you and has narcissistic traits or personality disorder, is expect a roller coaster of emotions. You will feel guilty because you've had it ingrained in you that you're the only person who can save them. You will feel like you're losing the only person that ever loved you because that's what they've convinced you of. You may even feel you are to blame for their suffering and what's to come next if there are repercussions from you leaving them. They may have mental health challenges if you leave them, whether that's emotionally separate or physically separate from them. And you may feel responsible for those mental health challenges. That is all part of the narcissistic abuse because their sense of self has pulled you in so much that you are holding all their sense of responsibility. 
So you're carrying double the weight. Whatever they're responsible for, they've handed all of that over to you. And it's really important when you're going through these different layers of painful feelings to give them air and space and let yourself feel that pain, recognize it, and actually say, well, you know what? This guilt isn't mine. I'm actually going to hand it back to you. And it hurts. But when you give it back, just like giving back a heavy parcel after you've been holding it for someone for a long time, you will feel relieved. So expect it to be emotionally challenging. Expect to feel a lot of emotions. And if you have decided to walk away, usually the best thing to do is to have complete no contact. Absolutely no contact because any little contact you have can be the bait for a spiral of patterns that you've probably already got locked in from previously. And you may recognize that because when they message or when they send you something, you may have a very strong emotional reaction to respond. Even though if you just looked at the words of the text, they're quite benign. But they're masters, aren't yes. they? Yes. They are masters they are. at reeling the person Reeling back you in. in. Absolutely. Yeah. But if you give them no response, yeah. that leaves them in a situation where they feel desperate. And if they realize that you can no longer be their supply, they'll stop bothering you. They actually will. You're so right. It's so interesting. I mean, well, you mentioned earlier something about love and the importance of love. In all of this, it's not that there's a sense that stop loving the person. Because you can really care about someone who has narcissistic traits or personality disorder. I think one thing about love is that it's intelligent. Real love's intelligent. Just like parents, real loving parents are willing to sacrifice their popularity with the child for the benefit of the child, right? So sometimes we have to also recognize, okay, I do love this person, but they don't know what to do with my love. So I'm going to have to love them from a distance and remind ourselves that actually it's just as beneficial to them for us to pull away as it is for us to pull away because we give them an opportunity to possibly change because they get to realize that actually being like this doesn't work. Love is the thing that actually validates all of us, right? Yeah. Call it genetics, call it uh, our own spiritual nature, call it whatever you want, right? But every single person just is, is compelled to connect with others. That connection organically is about giving and receiving love. But along the way, we may have experiences that distort that. And so then if our desire to give and receive love has been distorted or tampered with or disrupted, it's not that we stop looking for it or trying to express it. It's just it's like looking at a clear light through broken glass. It comes out looking very unusual. You know, one thing I'd like to say, though, is no one's beyond repair. Because if people want help, if they're willing to go through the pain of reconstructing themselves because to reconstruct something you have to break down everything you knew about yourself before then it's possible but you need love to be able to do that love means non-judgmental safe space and so if you don't have friends who can help you with that get professional help hopefully you can have both but this first thing to just go and tell someone at least if you have one other person who believes you who knows what you're going through that already reduces your narcissistic partner's power by 50% because mm. you've now spread the power across two people. Yeah, great. Love that. I mean, I just feel we could talk forever. So um, we thank you so much. Um, and, until we talk on our next subject. Bye. Bye. I don't know about you, but first of all, I think Dr. Chetna Kang needs her own show and also like 
just needs to be around more. I mean, she's amazing. I had moments during that conversation when actually I was almost like slightly overwhelmed by the potential toxicity of a narcissist. You know, I found it quite overwhelming thinking, my God, it's, it's I mean, it's so convoluted, but I thought it was very useful how she went through all the steps. I'm also really pleased that she told people what kind of things might be coming up if they're in a relationship with a narcissist. We will be talking to Dr. Chetna Kang again. By that stage, I will be just calling her Chetna. But let us know what you think. I'm going to read out your messages. Domino's got a little snortle on, but I think it'll be okay. Someone's been in touch via email. Hi, Will, and all at the Wellbeing Lab. Well, all, it's just me and producer Amy pottering along. I enjoy listening every weekend to the podcast. I like that idea. Having it as your weekend ritual. I find it interesting how many times it's mentioned by professionals that it should be taught in schools. I totally agree. On the positive side, want you and the listeners to know just how much things have improved in schools recently regarding the teaching of mental health and emotional well-being. I work with very young children between three and five. We have lots of initiatives in place, including story massage. <gasps> Love it. Emotion coaching. Zones of regulation. This is brilliant. There is still a long way to go, but things have definitely improved since I was at school. I'm the same age as you, Will. 34? So there's definitely hope for the future. Just wish that the waiting list for children's mental health services would reduce. Then we could really make a timely impact. That's a really nice message to receive. It seems to me like there's a lot of sort of... um, There doesn't seem to be continuity between what's being offered in schools. That's what I think. However, I'm a big fan of positive news. And this is very positive news. That makes me really happy. All those things sound great. Zones of regulation. We all need those. We should have those on pavements. (laughs) Stop. Regulate. Move on. Via Instagram. A simple message. Dear Will and team, I'm loving all the podcasts so far and always look forward to the next one. Keep them coming. We shall. Another person via Instagram. Love this podcast so much. Thank you for doing them, Will. We'd love to hear more on work-based relationships. Okay, interesting. We did do one, yes, on um, conflict in the workplace. If you haven't heard that, have a listen. Uh, Thank you, Wellbeing Lab, for the really informative podcast episode about trauma and EMDR. It was so good to hear it from the perspectives of both clinician and client. Yes, well, Katrina Morton, very, very good with trauma and EMDR and a fantastic therapist if you're looking for someone and, you know, Google her. And if you haven't listened to the episode, have a listen. Another email. Will, I would really encourage you to cover personality disorders and self-harm. Two very, very good suggestions. And self-harm, I haven't thought about. That's a very good one. Like alcoholism, there's a massive stigma around personality disorders, especially emotional, unstable personality disorder. Uh, People are often told there's nothing that services can do and they simply have to learn more effective coping strategies. I've been blamed by NHS services for my distress, told I have capacity to make poor decisions and they can't make it too comfortable for me to go to A&E and they're enabling me. It's difficult to avoid a diagnosis of EUPD when you have a history of self-harm. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, this could be something else that we talk to Dr. Chetner about. The way we talk about mental health and well-being feels over-sentimental when we aren't as a society willing to address the stuff we don't want to speak about, such as alcoholism, self-harm, PD, substance misuse, binge eating. Um, I work for the NHS. I've really tried to raise these issues for staff support, but still mainly discuss short-term stress and depression. Being sad in a workplace is okay. And there are six sessions of counselling available, but there is less acceptance of long-term complex conditions that can't be fixed. I love the podcast too, and have recommended the episode on trauma to others. Well, thank you very much for being in touch. It's always nice. 
to hear, you know, different people's opinions and different people's experiences and also your suggestions. So we would definitely be looking into more on workplace relationships, self-harm. And um, as I said, we've got narcissism, uh, one of the personality disorders, but we can always look at more. So thank you for getting in touch. Well, Domino moves from a snortle into a gentle breath. Oh, no, it's coming back. This is how you can get in touch. Email hello at wellbeinglabpodcast.com. Twitter at The Wellbeing Lab, Instagram and Facebook at The Wellbeing Lab. Podcast next week, we've got Reiki. Oh, and I'm going for a Reiki session as well. I'm really excited. So you're going to get a chat with a Reiki master and then I shall be feeding back on how I felt before, maybe even during and after the session. Am I just a sort of walking mori pole for these things? Equine therapy? Yes. Will I go cold water swimming? Yes. Shall I have some Reiki? Yes. I am but your servant. Goodbye. Did you know the Wellbeing Lab is produced by Audio AF and is part of the Acast Creator Network? It's true. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.